Our scripture reading this morning is going to be taken uh, from the book of Esther again. So if you'd like to turn to Esther, uh, we are in chapter 9. We're finishing up the book this morning. We're in chapter 9, verse 16, and we're going to be reading chapters 9 and 10. You can find that uh, in your Bibles or in your bulletins. Either one, whatever works for you. How many people here this morning feel well-rested? <laughs> we got one, and she's lying. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess not many of us. Even if maybe you're saying yes, uh, and you're scared to raise your hand, uh, it, it, even if you're saying yes, could you consistently say that? That you feel rested. Could you consistently say that you have margins in your life? Where if someone says, hey, let's go get some ice cream, you say, oh, I've got... Yeah, any day this week works for me. How many of us could say that, actually? Uh, Rest is very hard to come by, isn't it? Uh, Especially those of you with with young children know this. Uh, There's always one more school activity. There's always one more extracurricular activity. There's always one more diaper to change. There's always one more sleepless night. There's always one more something. Uh, Our jobs keep us busy. (coughs) Uh, and then even when we're away from our jobs, you know, we're on the beach supposedly on vacation and we're checking our email and our text messages and our Facebook messages. And there's always something pulling us back to our work, even when we're supposed to be resting. There's stuff we want to do. Uh, we're, there are television shows we want to watch. There are books we want to read. Uh, there's trips we want to take. There's things we'd like to get involved in the, in, in the community. There are all these busyness, these busy things going on. And then if we finally sit down, we're like, I'm just getting away from that for a little bit. And we flip on the television, we've got 24-hour news, and there's always one more thing for me to worry about, right? West Nile virus now, we were just talking about this morning. i got to worry about that again. i got to worry about possibly the crazy guy that lives next door. There's, there's, There's always something for me to worry about. There's always something to cause us anxiety. Concern, and so we have a hard time resting. So where do we find rest? Where do we find rest from these enemies of busyness and stress and worry and anxiety? Where do we find rest? Well, uh, believe it or not, Esther actually gives us a hint here. So Esther chapter 9, I begin reading in verse 16. And this is God's word. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they laid no hands on the plunder. This is kind of a fun place to jump in if you've never read Esther, but we'll explain this in a minute. (laughs) This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day of gladness, for gladness and feasting as a holiday and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, 
both near and far, obliging them to keep the fourteenth day of the month Adar, and also the fifteenth day of the same year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that they had been turned from them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring, and all who joined them, that without fail... They would keep these two days according to what was written, and at the same appointed, and at the same, and at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew, gave full written authority confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahusuerus in words of peace and truth. And these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed season as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fast and their lamenting. The command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. King Ahusuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. And all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahusuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to his people. Would you pray with me? Uh, God in heaven, this is your word, and um, we pray that you would use it now, that you would uh, give me words to speak clearly, and that you would open our hearts to understand, and that you would show us uh, how great and mighty you are, and would you show us, Father, uh, the true pathway to rest. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Where do we find rest? Where do we find rest from, uh, from these things that, that keep us busy, from these things that weigh on our hearts and minds, from these things that keep us awake at night? Where do we find rest? Well, here's where we are. We're, we're finishing the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, and this is a, a quick summary, uh, Haman, a man named Haman the Agagite, uh, has plotted to kill Mordecai and all of the Jewish people. And he's had a decree issued saying that, that they are to be killed. But through the working of God's unseen hands, the interesting thing in Esther is you don't ever see God directly referred to, but you see him, his unseen hand at work. Through the working of God's unseen hand, 
uh, Esther and Mordecai come to places of uh, positions of power and authority in the Persian kingdom. They gain favor with King Ahasuerus. And so what happens is that, that Haman is actually hanged, and King Ahasuerus allows Esther and Mordecai to issue a decree saying that the Jews are now able to defend themselves on this day that Haman has determined that they're all going to be killed. So they take up weapons against their enemies. Uh, and we read that many of the people in the government actually helped them uh, and that the Jews slaughtered the people who were trying to kill them and they actually gained rest from their enemies. And so this is what verse 20 and 22 tell us. They gained rest from their enemies... Their sorrow had been turned to joy, and their mourning had been turned into a holiday. So there's this uh, complete reversal of their situation. Uh, Several years ago, uh, Appalachian State was playing Furman in football, and I'm just going to say right now, I'm going to use App State instead of, because I I worked there as a campus minister for several years, I'm going to use them for for football illustrations this year instead of Auburn, Um, because they're just not worth talking about, since they lost to the equivalent of Vandy yesterday. But anyway, Uh, a few years ago, App State and Furman were playing. App State's leading by five points. All right, if you don't know anything about football, this this illustration is going nowhere. You get six points for a touchdown in football, okay? <laughs> Got to see everybody doesn't know. You get six points for a touchdown. You get one point for kicking an extra point. You get two points uh, for the point after touchdown if you go for two. All right? So you can go for one or two. If you're going for two and the other team somehow recovers the ball and runs it back for a touchdown, they get two points. All right? So there's a risk you're taking when you go for the extra point. All right. You with me? So... App State's up by five. Furman's driving. There's like a minute left in the game. The fans are going crazy. They're yelling. It's in Boone. Furman scores with six seconds left, and they go up by one. Now, we can debate what the smart thing to do in this situation would be later, but the Furman coach decides to go for two. (laughs) George is shaking his head. He decides to go for two. Well, the quarterback rolls out. He throws the ball. It's picked off by Appalachian State. They run it all the way back, and they win by one point. So you can imagine this football stadium that had gone from ha ah, to, and you guys know how it feels when you lose the last second game. That's how they felt. Everybody's head, oh, they're heading for the exits. And then suddenly, a uh, not-so-smart coaching decision results in two points, and everybody's celebrating again. It's a complete reversal of the circumstances, of what you were expecting. And that's what's just happened in the book of Esther. There's just been complete complete reversal of what was going on the the jews are sorrowful and now that sorrow has been turned instead into joy because they've been granted rest from their enemies but why do they have rest why did this all happen the way it happened why were they able now to rest from their enemies they had rest because all through the book of esther god had been at work god had been orchestrating events behind the scenes. He hadn't done anything uh, obviously miraculous. There was no parting of the Red Sea or anything like that. But God had been at work through ordinary people like Esther, ordinary sinful people like Esther and like Mordecai, in order to keep his promises to deliver his people. 
He preserved them, just as he had promised to do, and he had given them rest now from their enemies. Uh, that's one of the themes that we've seen throughout this book of Esther, that God is at work behind the scenes. And you see it again in the name that they give to this feast. Now, what do they name the feast? They name it Purim. Now, what's, what's that about? What does that mean? Well, the word per actually refers to the lot or the die that Haman cast. Right? And it was, a, it was a Persian word. And the Hebrew word for that was, was growl. And, and you hear this in different passages of the Bible. You're probably familiar with some of these, like Proverbs 16. The lot, or the growl, is cast into the lap, but it's very decision, it's every decision is from the Lord. In other words, you throw a die, but the way it turns up, that's actually God's uh, determination. Whatever it decides, that's God's will. That's what's turned up because he wanted it to turn up. Now, Psalm 16, David says to God, you have made my lot secure. You have made my lot secure. And so there's this meaning in naming the, the feast day Purim. Now, if you remember, you have to go back to the first part of Esther. Um, um, Haman was trying to decide what day to annihilate the Jews, and how did he decide that? Casting lots. He was casting lots. And it just kept not coming up until finally it was finally determined. For a long period of time, it went on. It's like, this is the day that you're going to annihilate the Jews. And it's, it's, it's kind of like a play on words here. It's like if we had named the day Dice Day. All right? It was the day that, that he threw the dice thinking it was going to be the day that he got his God showed him, this is the day you have victory over the Jews. Instead, what happened? The Jews had victory over him. And so it's kind of their way of saying... Look, you think you're in control, that your gods have determined the fate of the Jews, but who's actually determined the fate of God's people? God has. All right, so we're going to celebrate Dice Day uh, every year from now on to remember that God's sovereign even over the casting of dice and that we are secure in him. He controls the destiny of his people. Now, uh, Jesus picks up this idea of rest in the New Testament, and you may have heard this verse before, Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are labor, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. Now, what's Jesus talking about there in that part? Uh, he's talking to people who, for whatever reason, uh, have been, they've been laboring to achieve salvation by working for it. By doing something. He's talking to people who think they can justify themselves before God by what they do, by their actions, by their morality. Uh, The Pharisees thought they could gain right standing with God through their meticulous rule keeping. We do the right things, God has to bless us. And so what they would do then is they would put those rules and those burdens on other people as well. And it would wear people out trying to keep all these man-made rules, thinking that by doing it, they were going to somehow please God. And Jesus comes and he says, look, when you come to me, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to keep jumping through all these hoops because I'm going to give you rest. And I think one of the reasons that as Christians, we have a hard time finding rest is that because even as Christians, we haven't applied the gospel 
to our hearts and found rest. And, you know, really, whether you're a Christian or not, uh, many of us are hard at work laboring to try to impress God, to try to please Him, uh, to try to impress other people, to try to please other people so that other people are happy with us and accept us. Uh, Even today, some of us are here for good reasons. Uh, We're here, we want to hear the Word, we want to worship God. But even mixed in with that are our impure motives. And and some of us are even here just because it's what we're supposed to do. Well, I'm I'm supposed to be. Or somebody expects me to be here. And so I'm going to do what I'm expected to do. I'm going to perform for other people. And Jesus calls us away from performance and calls us to rest in his performance. Uh, Some of us give our kids whatever they want. We'll give them anything. We'll sign them from from every activity sign them up for every activity under the sun because we're worried things aren't going to work out right for them if we don't involve them in everything. And Jesus says, "Why don't you pray for them and actually entrust them to me and rest and rest instead of working yourself into a frenzy." Uh, Some of us can't sleep and we can't walk away from work because the job, our school, defines who we are. And we've got to perform at that. And we can't can't rest. We think, if I don't do this, if I don't perform, then I'm going to be exposed. And people are going to know what I'm really like. And they're going to know that I'm really the loser that that, that I know I am, but I don't want anybody else to know that. I'm going to be exposed if I don't perform. And Jesus calls us to rest. He says, I know who you really are. I know what you really like. But I gave my life for you anyway. So rest. Rest. Uh, Some of us are nervous about the future, and so we're killing ourselves trying to get things done, whatever that may look like. It's all up to me, and if I don't take care of it, nobody will. It's all going to fall apart. And Jesus says... Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or sow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Jesus says, rest, because your life is in the hands of my heavenly Father. If you want to find rest, true rest, you've got to find it in God's working and not your working. Say that again. If you want to find rest, you've got to find it in God's working and not in your working. And that means you've got to find it in Christ. Now, the second thing I want us to see here is that we've got to strive to enter this rest that God gives us in Christ. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, the celebration of Purim arose as this spontaneous celebration by God's people. Well, then Mordecai and Esther sent letters out saying, hey, we're going to do this every year. We're going to celebrate this way every year, the fact that God has given us rest from our enemies. And so we too need to remember that God, and, and we need to remember and celebrate that God has given us rest from our enemies. Talk about remembering for a minute. What does that mean? What are, we, what are we remembering? When we say we need to remember that God has given us rest from our enemies, 
What do we need to remember as believers? We need to remember that God's delivered us from the curse of the law in Christ. We need to remember that Christ has died for us. We need to remember that Christ has uh, lived a life of perfect obedience and that that is the record I have now have before my Father, that His righteousness is accredited to my account. We need to rest and know that we don't have this burden of jumping through hoops in order to, to please God any longer. Uh, for example, it's good for me, it's good for you to share our faith with other people. And I would encourage you to do that and, and would, would love to talk to you about how to do that. But if I've never shared my faith with anybody else for the rest of my life, God wouldn't love me any less than he does right now. If I had shared my faith with five billion people, I'd be busy, um, for the, over the rest of my life, God wouldn't love me any more than he does right now. The gospel calls us to rest, to rest in, in what God has done for us in Christ. It's good for us all parents. It's good for you to want to parent well. But at the end of the day, we all do stupid things as parents and make bad decisions uh, over and over again. And we need to stop beating ourselves up about our past performance and learn to rest, to, to, to leave our children uh, in God's hands and to rest, to rest. And so part of what we're doing, part of what we need to do day by day, week by week, is to learn to rest. And part of that learning to rest is reminding each other to remember to rest, to remember that Jesus helps us to rest, gives us rest from our labors. But then there's this note of celebration also. The Jews are celebrating because God has given them rest from their enemies. Think about that. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, then, then shouldn't we celebrate too? If we have been given rest by God, rest uh, from having to perform. But we haven't been, and we haven't been given rest from the Persians, as, as big a deal as that was. We've been given rest from the greatest enemy. We've been given rest from the enemy of death. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear death anymore. You've been given rest from that. You, you, you've got life, eternal life, beyond the grave. Okay, so what? That's, that's glorious. That's everything. And we ought to remember that, and not just remember that, we ought to celebrate that as well. Shouldn't Christians be throwing better parties than pagans? If that's true, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be throwing better parties than the pagans if, if we have this resurrection life to look forward to? Shouldn't we dance and be glad? I just finished reading the book uh, Unbroken, which if you haven't read it, you, you, you have to read this book. It tells the story of, of Louis Zamperini, uh, who is an Olympic athlete who wound up serving in World War II, uh, was shot down over the Pacific, uh, and spent a, a long period of time in Japanese uh, POW camps, uh, tortured, beaten, abused, practically starved to death. And it really is an amazing story of how God preserved him through all of this. But imagine that day when the war was finally over. And 
there are planes flying over, uh, American planes flying over the, the prison camps that the Japanese have surrendered, and there are planes flying over the prison camps, and they're dropping food, like real food. These guys have been, been living off of like one piece of rice a day and rat droppings and whatever they can find. And there's actually truckloads of crates of real food being dropped uh, on there. And what do they do? They begin to feast. They begin to gorge themselves. They begin to celebrate. Well, what happens if you hadn't, if you've been in starvation conditions for a long time and you start eating like this? Well, it's not very good for your digestive system. And so these guys would all line up for the bathroom and do their deal. Then they'd come back and they'd gorge themselves again. They didn't care. They knew it was going to happen. But they had food for the first time uh, in forever. And so they were going to celebrate. Their sorrow had been turned to joy. They'd been given rest from their enemies. Uh, a similar story is told about not POWs, but uh, residents of Great Britain celebrating after the end of World War II. Uh, listen to this description of this uh, from an account gathered by the BBC. When the war finished and peace was declared, it was unbelievable how everyone reacted. After family celebrations, everyone went out into the streets to sing patriotic songs, and straight away people started to plan street parties. Where I lived, the whole street was taking up with tables and chairs. Everyone took part in doing something in preparation. It was amazing where all the food and drink came from, to see the plates loaded with sandwiches and cakes, and we'd been on severe rationing for nearly five years. My wife, along with many more, had spent hours going around to collect flour and yeast and fat to make bread and cakes. After the meal was over and tables cleared away, pianos and even organs came out into the street. And dancing and singing started. It carried on into the night, by which time the blackout curtains had been torn down. Because they had to keep blackout curtains up at night so the Germans couldn't see where to, to bomb them. And so they, the blackout curtains had been torn down. And the light from the people's gas lights, helped by lamps and lanterns, brought light into the street so that dancing and singing could continue. By the time some of the armed forces personnel had arrived home and couldn't wait to join us, one of the strangest things about those two or three days of celebration was that no one thought about work. In fact, I recall we had a hurried meeting with the management where we were told that the works would be closed and we would be called to return to work by letter or word of mouth. No one seemed to care. Every pub and club was kept open and still the singing went on. The number of times we sang, Rule Britannia, I could not count. They were celebrating. They had rest. From their enemies. Uh, another story from the Bible you may be familiar from, 2 Samuel 6. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines. That's bad. Uh, but but they've, Israel's gotten it back and it's coming back home. Uh, and in the midst of this celebration, this may be what you remember of the story, a man named Uzzah reaches out because the, the Ark gets a little unsteady and he reaches out to grab it and he touches it and you don't do that. And God strikes him dead because he did that. So now everybody's kind of freaked out. Like, I don't really want this in my house. And so they take the Ark of the Covenant and they, they, they deliver it to the house of, of someone named Obed-Edom. Which sounds kind of like a Star Wars character, I know. But it's in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And what happens while the Ark's in Obed-Edom's house? Well, they, all this blessing gets poured out on him and on his family. And David's aware of this. He's like, hmm... 
maybe God really does intend to bless his people after all. And so they go and they get the ark and they bring it into Jerusalem and there's this big party and celebration going on around the ark. People are dancing and singing. And David's leading this procession and he takes off his royal robes and he's wearing nothing but this linen ephod, which is something the priest wore. Now, there's somewhat of a debate about exactly what that involved. Uh, some people say it's nothing but a loincloth. Others like, no, it was a little more clothing than that. But whatever it was, his wife wasn't happy about it. Okay? Whatever he was wearing, she didn't think it was appropriate. Because this is what she says when he gets home. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And listen to what David says. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. And guess what? I will become even more undignified than this. You ain't seen nothing yet, baby. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. How many of us would have said, David, you, you might want to ease up a little bit there, boss. That's, that's a little bit too much. You need to to calm down a little bit. You need to be a little more reserved, a little more proper, a little more distinguished, a little more dignified. But guys, he was worshiping the Lord. He was celebrating God's goodness to his people. He had reason to celebrate. And shouldn't our lives and our worship have that same note of joyful celebration before God? We've been delivered from our sins. We've been delivered from death. Is not that reason? Is that not reason to celebrate and be glad? We've been delivered from the greatest enemy. Where, O death, is your sting? Jesus has given us rest. And shouldn't that add a a, a note of joy to our lives? Shouldn't that add maybe a note of undignified celebration? To our worship. Well, just as Purim reminded God's people of what he had done, uh, our celebrations do the same thing. We think about Christmas. We think about Easter. We think about our weekly celebration of the Lord's Day that God has given us rest from our enemies. Uh, many, you may or may not know this, but many Puritans uh, we're actually against celebrating Easter and Christmas. Uh, so my wife says you couldn't be a Puritan. Uh, but they had a lot of different reasons for doing that. It wasn't just because they didn't like celebration. They've got a bad rap for that. But the reason they didn't want to celebrate those holidays is because they wanted to stress the fact that we celebrate God's deliverance every Lord's Day. That every Sunday is Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving all rolled up into one. It was a weekly day of celebration. Now, I, I, I like Christmas and Easter and all that. But, but, but think of what we have every week that God has given us this weekly day of rest and celebration. A day to celebrate and rejoice in the rest that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. We need, to, we need to enter into that rest. Well, the source of our rest is in Christ. The only way to rest is to know Him. 
But as those united to him, we need to use this day, this Lord's day well that he gives us, to rest from our working, to rest from our performing, to celebrate Jesus' work, and to, to leave my work behind for a little bit, to, to celebrate Jesus' victory over the grave. You know, I think one of the reasons we have a hard time resting on Sunday is because we don't believe that Jesus is an adequate Savior. If I don't keep working, if I don't keep studying, if I don't keep answering those text messages, if I don't keep getting it done, then the world's going to fly apart. And I've got to keep working, in some sense, to save myself, to save my world, to make it work right. We don't think Jesus is adequate, and so we try to do it ourselves, and we can't rest. We fail to rest. Well, last thing here, and we'll close with this. The text tells us that as they celebrated, what did they do? They gave gifts to each other. That's kind of cool. They gave gifts to each other and to the poor. All right, and, and, and here, very simply, this is just um, a natural response on our part to God's generosity is that we, in turn, ought to be generous to other people. Uh, and so the Bible says a lot about helping the poor, about giving to the poor, about helping the oppressed. Uh, but very often our hearts are, are turned in on ourselves and we're like, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. I don't want to let go of this. Uh, often even as we're saying mine, we're secretly judging the poor in our hearts. Well, they should have worked harder and they could have this too. Understanding how generous God has been to us in his son. As you get that in your heart, that will begin to change you and make you a more generous person, more generous to others as well. In fact, giving to the poor, uh, spending your treasures, your treasure on others instead of yourselves is one of the ways that God actually gives you rest. You're like, what? How does, how does that work? Well, write this scripture down, this verse. You don't have to copy this word for word. Um, Isaiah 58, 10. And, and, and read this later today. Maybe read Isaiah 58. Which is what it says there in verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail you're refreshed as you give of yourselves to other people maybe the reason this morning that that many of us uh, are not refreshed we're not rested is because we've got too much emotional energy tied up in ourselves. I've got too much emotional energy tied up in me. And maybe you feel that same way as well. Can I invite you to rest? To rest in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? To rest in in Jesus Christ for your righteousness? For your right standing? And then rest in the fact that God is at work. 
and that God is taking care of His people, and that God will provide for His people, that God will care for you as His child. And then take all that effort that you've been putting into building the kingdom of you and pour that effort into other people. All that effort that you've been using, that you've been expending, building your kingdom, worrying about your needs, worrying about your life, take all that emotional energy and pour that into someone else, into other people, and find rest. Jesus says that's the way it works. If you want to find your life, if you want to save your life, you'll lose your life. If you lose your life, if you lose your life, you'll actually save your life and find rest. Let me pray for us. Father, would you cause us to know that it is in Christ that we find rest from our enemies? Would you help us to know that and believe that and to actually rest in that? moment by moment, day by day, and especially help us to remember it this day uh, and to rejoice and to celebrate and to be generous and to be glad. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.